Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is June 7, and our passage for today is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Yes, Ecclesiastes. Now, that's the word where we get our word for church, ecclesia. You remember, this is the name that was taken from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And in Hebrew, it is Kohelet. It is the word for assembly. It's the word for putting sentences together, a collection of sentences. And so, therefore, that's what a preacher does. And so, this is the book of the preacher, and Solomon is the preacher. You see, from internal evidence, we know that the book was written by Solomon. That's right, David's son, the wisest man who ever lived. And it is the story of what seems to be a frustrated man and a man who has seen the futility of life. And as you read through Ecclesiastes, if you don't know the background of 2 Kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, which was just one book in the Hebrew Bible, the Greeks separated it in the Septuagint. But it's just one book each, the Kings and the Chronicles. One, the Chronicles deals with exclusively the tribe of Judah from creation all the way through until the time of the captivity and so forth. The book of Kings deals with the northern kingdom, and it looks at a different perspective. Same events many times, but looked at from the different perspective. One, from the perspective of the broader kingdom, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But the book of Chronicles primarily is of a story, a chronology. The Chronicles, the writings of the Judaic kingdom and the Davidic kingdom and the line of David that would lead to the line of the Messiah. Now, why am I telling you this? Because it's important that we get some perspective, some historical perspective, because Solomon, when he opens up his book, by the way, his name was Shlomo. We translated Solomon, but his name was Shlomo. In the first chapter, the first verse, the words of the preacher, the Kohelet, he is the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. And then he starts out, Hebel, Hebel. That is something like breath. It's fleeting. It's uh, like a delusion. It happens so quickly. It's just like, how did that happen? Was that real? It's sometimes used, it's translated uh, over a dozen times, idle. That is something that's worthless, something that you worship that has no basis to it. It's translated most often vanity, Hebel. And it is a common word throughout the entire book. Now, why would Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, talk about, as he does, this concept of vanity? Well, if you get caught up into that, uh, you're just spitting into the wind because that's exactly what Solomon talks about. But the book in itself, if you'll back off and not just not be able to see the forest for the trees, you'll see this is a view of a man who is talking about life from a 30,000 foot height and elevation. It's uh, obviously written by someone who is older. 
So I believe Solomon wrote this in the last days of his life because it's the perspective of someone who has lived life, had it all, messed up, lost it all, as far as spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Oh, he was still wealthy, still had all that, but he he had come to some conclusions by the end of his life that he had wasted a lot of his life. And so he draws conclusions for all of us to learn. But in the book itself, Joy is like a thread, like a silver thread throughout the book. And it's kind of the motif in which it was written. You say, wait just a minute, are we reading the same book? Yes, we are. The word joy or rejoicing or the theme of joy is used almost 20 times in the book itself. Other books in the Bible that we would not associate with dread and a dismal, uh, futile life don't talk about joy or express it in, in any terms like that. So I've, I've chosen in the 365 Bible reading plan only two chapters in Ecclesiastes because I think they sum up really what this book is all about. And so I've chosen chapter 3 and chapter 12. Chapter 3 is one of my all-time favorite chapters, and God has really used this in my life personally, if I may say so, to give me guidance in life and really help me to get perspective when at times I have faltered and thought, Lord, what am I doing? It just seems like I'm spinning my wheels. I'm going nowhere fast. And so what I want to do is just read through this, and I want to just point out after we get into about verse 9 some things that you need to know about this. I believe with all my heart that this was written at the end of Solomon's life. I believe this was written at the end of Solomon's life. And I believe that Solomon turned back to God in the latter days before he died. You say, how do you know that? I don't know that. But I believe Ecclesiastes was written then. And I believe that Ecclesiastes is his swan song. I believe that he is leaving word not only for the people of Israel, but for a greater audience that he had a platform with, that he had influenced. Solomon was a man of great influence, and he influenced the kings of the earth. And yes, they saw his unfaithfulness. They knew what he had preached, what he had stood for, what his father had stood for. David was a very famous man, a very famous warrior. And even with his sin, David was still the greatest leader that ever walked the face of the earth, save the Lord Jesus. About greater than Moses greater than any besides Abraham. God chose Abraham and David in relationship to salvation and salvation history. Their names are more prominent than any other because they were given unconditional covenant concerning faith, concerning land, lineage, concerning a kingdom. And they are inexorably linked to the Messiah in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. And so I believe Solomon was known by David, and I believe they knew the God of David, and they knew the God of Solomon. And Solomon strayed. He went so far uh, astray that you get the idea he could never come back. But when we get that idea, we discount the grace of God. And just because there's not some big story about Solomon coming back to God in the end doesn't mean that he did not. It just means that it's not recorded. That is, it's not recorded in the Chronicles, but he was buried with honors with his father, David. That's saying something. But not only that, I, again, believe that Solomon wrote uh, Ecclesiastes, and this is not written by a man in his youth or his mid-years, his midlife. This is a man who wrote this at the end of days when he had experienced of what we will read about in chapter 12, which is heartrending for those of us who are getting older because it's so true, and we'll look at that when we get there. But please, let me read this to you, and we're going to go through this. The words are going to be very familiar to you, and how wise this is. 
To everything there is a season, there is an appointed time under heaven, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time to war and a time of peace. And then he says, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors. In other words, what's this all about? We just work every day? Is that all it is? He said, I have seen the God-given ayin. That comes from the word ana, what man busies himself with, what he occupies his time with, his occupation. He says, I have seen the God-given assignments, the God-given busyness, it seems, with which the sons of men are to be occupied. And then he makes this statement in the midst of that, what seems like we're living our life just being occupied. He said, God, he has made everything beautiful in his time. That is, God is working all of this stuff out that we don't understand. We just uh, Sometimes we just go in, we get in a routine, we get up, we go to work, we do what we do, we do what we did last year, what we did the year before, and we're just on this assembly line of life. But God makes all of that beautiful in his time. Also, he's put eternity in their hearts, in our hearts, except no man can find out the work of God that was from the beginning to the end. Now, what does that mean? He's put eternity in our hearts. I believe that God's word teaches from start to finish that we are made in the image of God. And yes, sin has marred that, but we've never lost that image. There is a part of us, a part of us, yes, sinful, yes, cursed, yes, exceedingly so. But there is a part of us that yearns for God, that God draws us to himself. There is a God-shaped vacuum in every one of our hearts that only he can feel. Eternities in our heart. We know that there's something intuitively. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 1. There is a God-given, a subjective reality, an internal reality that points toward God in our hearts. We fight it with everything within us because God and the very mention of God as creator gives us a sense of accountability. And we try to get out of those traces and out of that harness because we don't want accountability to anyone. But God knows the beginning, and he knows the end. And he knows the end from the beginning. He said, I know that nothing is better for man than to rejoice. There's that word. And do good in their lives. That is, do good. Do what you know to do is right. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It's a gift from God. Being able to work is a gift from God. It's not a curse. Man was working before the fall of sin. He he had responsibility before ever sin entered in the human race. He was to tend and do that delightfully. 
all of the garden. He was to care for the animals. He was to care for the environment that God had given. Yes, that's right. And that was before the fall. And that was all warped and twisted after the fall. But God made work. It's good for man to work. And we find great joy in that. It's a great sense of accomplishment when we work and we do something. It it gives value to who we are. And our government and, and churches many times are always giving a handout. We don't need a handout. We need a hand up. You see, because when God redeems man, he lifts him and it causes him to want to work. And it's good for man to work and enjoy the good of all his labor. It's a gift from God, not only our labor, but what he gives us for our labor. Then he goes on to say, I know, and this is again, the speech of an old man. I know whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. Oh, it might be for a little bit, but it's going to come back around because see what God does is forever. And God does it that men should fear before him. That which has already been and that which is to be has already been. There's nothing new under the sun, and God requires an account of what is past. In other words, God is going to hold us to accountability. That's all that's saying. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. You see, anywhere that there is an opportunity to do good, there is always an opportunity to do evil. People have shunned the Internet. They have shunned social media and said, oh, it's of the devil. Well, it is, but it can be used as a tool for God. Anytime there is good present, there's evil. Anytime there's evil, there's an opportunity for good. I said in my heart, for God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time and appointed time for every purpose and for every work. You see, God will have the final say. He said in my heart, I said concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals for what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals for one thing befalls them as one dies, so dies the other. In other words, man and beast are alike in the sense of they have breath and when that breath's taken away, they're dying. That's all that's saying. That's not saying we're one with the animals and animals have souls and they're going one way and we're going that. No, it just says that everything has a lifespan and then it goes. Because it is created being, and man is created, uh, and, and because of the curse of sin, and that not just the curse for man, but for animals, for everyone, Adam sinned, the entire universe that God had made related to man was cursed, even the earth itself. This is very clear from Scripture. And he says, all turn to dust. That is, all will decay and decompose and And so this is it. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward? Nobody knows where they're going. We know what it's like, but nobody's been there and come back. That is, and that would tell about it and know in great detail all there is to know about it. We've had the Apostle Paul going and coming and going into paradise and coming back. And some say they've done that uh, and they may or may not have. All I'm saying is this is not what this is talking about. This is saying that nobody can understand how all of this happens. We observe that these things do happen. So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that's his heritage. That's his legacy. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? You see, no matter what we do on this earth, we can leave wills, we can leave trust, we can leave foundations, but those will only go on for a time. And then no one will remember who you were. No one will remember the work that you did. 
Only that which is done for God will last, and it'll be brought out in eternity. This is the perspective of the Kohelet, of the preacher, of the man who assembles words together, and he preaches, he teaches. That's Solomon, and this is On the Way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.